Hello and welcome to your last Dogwood podcast before the BC election. I'm your host, Kai Nagata, and time is a-wasting, so we're just going to jump into it. This week, a bombshell victory on Dogwood's Beyond Coal campaign as Christy Clark flip-flops hours before the election debate. She's calling on the federal government to ban all exports of thermal coal from the BC coast, and if they don't act, she vows to go it alone. We'll dig into the politics of Clark's surprise move on coal and the opportunity this opens up for BC communities. Dogwood's Erie Ross will join me on that in just a minute. Also this week, election debate analysis with Lisa Sammartino. The highlights, the lowlights, and a few predictions for how the final days of this campaign are going to play out. Last but not least, voter turnout. This entire election hinges on how many people actually show up to the polls, especially those crucial under 40 voters. If young people stay home, the BC Liberals win. We'll hear from Sophie Harrison what Dogwood is doing to crank up voter turnout and what you can do to help. Let's get into it. Ari Ross, Dogwood's coal campaigner, joins me now. Hello, Ari. Hello, Guy. Tell us about the big news. Yeah, this is a victory that um, has been years in the making. Our partner groups, um, as well as regional health authorities and the folks of British Columbia, have been calling for this ban on thermal coal exports uh, for the last several years. And yesterday, Christy Clark actually uh, put her money where her mouth is and wrote a letter to Justin Trudeau. So I might read you some of my highlights from that letter. Yeah, go for it. It's an extraordinary political document. It really is. I'm going to be holding on to this for years. (laughs) Frame it. (laughs) Yes. Um, So apparently this is a matter that they've been considering for some time. Um, And this is something that they use very, very strong language within the letter, um, calling on a ban on the transport of thermal coal through Canada, which would be consistent with the efforts um, of both British Columbia and Canada to reduce global greenhouse gas emissions. So yeah, this is like a pretty big deal. I mean, there's been a little bit of talk back and forth between interest groups that, you know, what can Christy Clark actually do to implement this ban? But regardless, this is the strongest position that the government has taken ever. Yeah, she says that it's terrible for the planet. She was calling it filthy. Yes. Filthy U.S. coal. Yeah, she won up the dirty coal. <laughs> the climate impact. She talks about the values of Canada and the Cascadia mm-hmm. region. Yes. Did you write this letter? It sounds like you wrote this letter. It does feel a little bit like that. It feels like they've been pulling out of the Dogwood playbook and the things that we've been saying for the last few years. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it goes to show that the work that we've been doing is actually mattered and it actually has an impact in government now it's just the point where we need to see um action from all political parties on this and we need the premier to actually implement some of these policies um, that she's proposed so at the same time uh, the 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 timing of this can't be an accident right she dropped it right before the election debate um what are your thoughts on the the politics of this oh yeah well i mean it is a political maneuver, right? You're right that it's been, it's just two weeks out from an election. They needed at least one sort of environmentally friendly policy win before we could, uh, or before the election on May 9th. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's definitely passed the buck a little bit to Trudeau um, because, you know, some of the jurisdiction on this does rest with the federal government. Um, and she's called for this 
when they actually aren't sitting, right? The legislature is not sitting, so there's not a lot that they can do in this immediate term. But it does set her up for a strong angle on uh, environmental issues, which, quite frankly, we're not seeing from other political parties at the moment. On the coal issue. So on the coal issue. At the same time, we have to look at this in the context of the softwood lumber dispute that's happening right now between the U.S. and Canada, right? Mm-hmm. So Clark is saying that, yeah, it's an environmental move, but she's using coal as a bargaining chip to try and get a better softwood lumber deal. She was saying, effectively in the debate, that she's going to go and pick a trade war with Trump, and that's why she should get reelected, so we can stand up to the USA. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that angle? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... A bold move. Um, I also feel a little bit, of, you know, it's a little bit disingenuous in a sense because, you know, this is like a very big issue for local communities. This is something that impacts the health and environment of British Columbians. And so to see it being used as a bargaining chip in a trade war hurts a little bit to the folks who have been uh, working on this for years. But um, yeah, like I think it's a bold move. And I mean, <laughs> in a lot of ways, Christy Clark hasn't really been involved in that dispute at all. Like she's not at the bargaining table anyway. Um, so it's kind of just an interesting. Uh, well, yeah. it looks like a re-election ploy, right? Re-election ploy, like exactly. me, because I'll go and stand up to the spray-tanned madman with the nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> so putting this in context, I mean, she mentions this in the letter that this move is coming after every single community along the west coast of the United States has. Uh, rejected coal ports. So in a, in, in a sense, I mean, this isn't coming out of left field. BC has been a laggard on this. Mm-hmm. And now that Clark has adopted this position, whether her reasons for it are political or not, it feels like we're at this tipping point. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. Um, you know, all of the port cities in Washington and Oregon and some in California have taken firm stances against exporting Powder River Basin coal citing financial risk and uh, environmental degradation, um, as well as the health impacts to local people. So yeah, like this is a big moment, regardless of the implications or the, the reasoning behind it, right? Like this is going to mean a united Cascadia against coal ports, which is what we've been fighting for. Yeah, and uh, I take some some optimism from the fact that However, the legislature shakes out after this election, I mean, this gives us something really powerful to hold those politicians to account. It's very hard to walk back from a position this strong, no matter who's in power. So absolutely good times on the uh, the coal campaign. Indeed. Very good. Thanks a lot, Ari. Thank you, Kai. You're listening to the Dogwood pre-election podcast. I'm your host, Kai Nagata. And up next, we have Ban Big Money campaigner and debate party hostess, Lisa Sammartino. Hey, Lisa. Hello, Kai. Thank you so much for uh, for having us over and forcing your husband to uh, to make us pizza. Ban Big Money, your baby. Congratulations. Huge role in the debate last night. Uh, what was your favorite part? Definitely the very first Ban Big Money question, uh, where CTV ho- our moderator, um, Jennifer Burke, uh, basically asked, all these things have happened. How do people still trust you, Christy Clark? Our next question is to Ms. Clark on this topic. And in the past year as Premier, you've faced some controversy. Uh, the RCMP launched an investigation into campaign contributions as a result of donations to your party. You finally stopped taking a salary top-up after pretty big public backlash. And you also falsely accused the opposition of hacking into your party's website. How do you repair British Columbians' damaged trust in you? 
Um, well, you know, I think the thing that matters most to British Columbians is jobs. So that's Christy Clark responding to a question about uh, scandals that have been plaguing her government. I, th I thought um, Richard Zussman from CBC summed that up really well. He tweeted, Christy Clark is basically saying people don't care about corruption if she creates jobs and remains calm. I mean, that's a bit of a zinger coming from a legislative reporter. Yeah, when she said uh, jobs, everybody at the Dogwood debate party, like, blah! <laughs> it, was, it was such a crazy sidestep that nobody's going to be fooled by. So she, she dodges the question uh, about her own party fundraising, but she was keen to talk about donations when the conversation wasn't about the BC Liberals. Why, uh, why do you think all of a sudden she's uh, coming out uh, against big money for the NDP, uh, but not for her own party? Well, she says the difference is she doesn't let her donations from these multinational, multi-billion dollar corporations um, cloud her decision making and influ influence legislation. Um, but the official opposition, which doesn't control doesn't legislation or regulations, yeah. they're in the pocket. Apparently. Of, uh, okay. Um, but we've seen, we've tracked Kinder Morgan's donations. Um, we've seen a trend with Pacific Northwest LNG, Wood Fiber. There's a court case next month about this. Um, and just this week, we have Lafarge, who we looked at in our analysis of road paving contracts for the government, come out and say that donations actually improve communication with the BC government in their work getting these road paving contracts. Yeah, they said it's just a tool in our toolbox. Yeah, and if the government was to ban these type of donations, they would have to adapt their entire advocacy plan. So that's pretty startling. So she's making a um, what's uh, what's good for the goose isn't good for the gander uh, argument. And uh, Andrew Weaver surprised me. He jumped in, um, got pretty uh, feisty attacking the NDP on uh, on steelworker donations. What was that about? Yeah, well, he's he's the only one up there that can take the high road on this. Um, the Greens haven't taken corporate donations since November, um, and they're they're really they've self-imposed a limit on individual donations. Um, they're the only ones really that have clean hands on this. Let's have a listen to uh, to Andrew Weaver in the debate. Well, Mr. Hogan, you didn't answer the question. You specifically stated we can't trust the B BC Liberal decisions because of the money that's going to them. And you haven't answered why we can trust you. We know that the United Steelworkers are paying uh, two of your senior campaign directors to actually run your campaign. We know that United Steelworkers contributed $1.7 million to your campaign last year. You know, who's calling the shots on your campaign? Is it you or is it the United Steelworkers? So that was Andrew Weaver attacking uh, NDP leader John Horgan over donations from the United Steelworkers. I mean, we warned the NDP that this was going to happen um, a year ago, right? If uh, if they tried to um, to make that argument against big money in politics, that their opponents would uh, would draw an equivalency um, based on the donations they take from corporations and unions. So, what what did you think when you um, when you saw Weaver take that tack in the debate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we back in October, November, our director of strategy at Dogwood, Will Horder, and myself, we've both written about this, that if opposition parties want to take a clear stand on this going into this election, they're going to have to stop taking these type of donations. And Weaver did. And now um, he's definitely in the higher position here. Um, 
But in the end, this is a BC Liberal voter suppression technique. Christy hmm. Clark has been using this since she was in the legislature in March, whenever the BC NDP said, you're taking donations. She actually read a fundraising letter from them, right back to them and said, you're trying to take these donations as well. Um, so, I mean, she's saying everybody is dirty. And what's the effect of that? People stay home. Like, people feel like their politicians aren't working for them, and, and Christy Clark knows that. Um, and, and it's the same strategy that Trump used when he kept saying crooked Hillary, mm. um, even billing their debate as Donald Trump versus crooked Hillary. Um, everybody is corrupt, so you might as well not vote at all. What's, um, what's Horgan's argument in, in response to this? He keeps pointing to the fact that he's introduced the legislation six times already um, and that after the election they will change. But right now they can't tie their hands um, if if they're going to compete dollar for dollar with the B.C. Liberals. Right. And so his argument is basically uh, the ends justify the means. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. they say we're the best uh, chance at replacing the government. So, And possibly, but then neither party can take a moral stance on this. Uh, so definitely lots of lowlights in this debate. Um, 60 second stretches of incoherent shouting. Um, the moderator uh, pretty much AWOL for long stretches of that. Yeah, my rally is bigger than your rally. Uh, yeah, so were there, any, um, were there any moments that stuck with you or any lines that you, that you walked away uh, remembering from that debate? Yeah, politicians enter debates trying to find that zinger that, that voters and watchers will try to take home with them. For example, Rachel Notley um, took this, Al- Albertans are always told that math is too hard for them and became a math is hard hashtag. Um, Hillary Clinton had her like shimmy, ooh. Um, and so there were definitely some lines that you could tell they came in with. Um, Christy Clark's crater of debt. Um, John Horgan said, you stole a generation of kids. I'm one of those kids, by the way. And, um, and Weaver had his La La Land plan. Um, and I don't think any of them really stuck, but what, what landed with me is, um, is Weaver had a line that said, the party that won the last election wasn't the BC Liberals, it was the non-voter. And we know that voter turnout was only 55% mm. in, in 2013. It was the same in the states, the election that got us Donald Trump. Um, and this is an important election, and, and people who don't aren't consistent voters need to get out and, and raise their voice here because it's easy to feel like you're disenfranchised by the system, um, but this is our chance to be heard. Okay, thank you, Lisa. That was Lisa Sammartino from the Band Big Money Campaign. Up next, Sophie Harrison. Hey, Sophie. Hey, guy. Normally, tanker campaigner today seconded to the Vote BC turnout machine. Um, we are days out from the election. Advance voting this weekend, and uh, and then Election Day, May 9th, and that's it. So what's the plan? The plan is very simple. We're going to crank up voter turnout in tight races around the province. Um, we know that in a really close election, it comes down to how many people get out to vote, get out to cast their ballots. We know that big money lobbyists that like to pull the strings and run our government want to keep voter turnout low so they can keep running the show. We know that the most powerful, subversive thing that regular citizens can do is go cast their ballots. So people in our age cohort in the last election had, uh, what was the turnout rate? 39.8%. So three in five young people didn't bother to vote uh, in the last election. How, how, what is possible if those people actually show up? So much. <laughs> Game changer. Yeah, I mean, I think... Well, there's I, a lot of us. Like, there's a lot of us. There's more of us than there are the, the cohort of early retirees, like 65 to 75. 
we are a bigger demographic chunk, but we don't friggin' vote. And when it comes down to issues like climate change or education policies, things that disproportionately impact our generation, it means that governments know they don't have to listen to us. I think that's what's so exciting to me about doing this issue-based get-out-the-vote work is that when we can show that people who care about oil tankers and climate change and getting big money out of politics get out to vote in bigger numbers, that's how we hold our next government accountable. Why do you think people don't vote? I think it's a whole bunch of things. People I talk to, um, sometimes it's cynicism. Sometimes it's the belief that um, their vote isn't going to matter, to which I would say um, that is exactly what elected Donald Trump. I think um, we've been saying it a lot all election here at Dogwood, bad things happen when people don't vote and better things happen when we turn up and we show we're willing to engage and also when we show we're willing to organize after the election. You were talking about the issues. I mean, I totally agree that uh, the outcome of the election determines the future on all these issues. But is it effective to talk about those issues to those voters, do you think? The get out the vote calls Dogwood does are actually way more simple than that. We know that in this final period on the way out to the election... um, The other reason people don't vote is just because they don't know how. Um, I remember I was 18 in the last provincial election. Um, I was so keen. I emailed all my candidates about their positions on climate change. I got my ballot in early. Um, But when I talked to my friends afterwards, a lot of them just didn't didn't know how to vote. Um, And that's where our get out the vote calls come in. What we talk about in these final uh, just couple weeks before the election is just quite simply helping people make a plan to go vote, helping them figure out when they're going to go vote, how they're going to get there, what ID they're going to bring. And that process of visualization is statistically proven to increase turnout. What can, um, what can listeners do? What can, what can the folks listening to this podcast do to help with that? Well, the very first thing is to get yourself out to vote. And as you said, Kai, early voting opens up this weekend. So um, go get your own ballot in. But after you've done that, um, help help your neighbors do the same thing. It's like um, they say on airplanes, put your own oxygen mask on first, and then you can then help, help others. The exactly. cartoon baby, yeah. So if our listeners go to votevc.ca, you can sign up, uh, commit to make at least one hour of get-out-the-vote phone calls before Election Day. Already more than 300 British Columbians have done this. They're already getting trained up and starting to make phone calls. You can join us. It's really fun. Like You find the people on the other end of the phone. These aren't partisan phone calls. They're excited to hear from you. You're doing this amazing community-building public service. Um, Yeah, not a robot and not trying to sell them something. People like that. Exactly. Like pretty much universally, people will thank you at the end of your phone calls. You get to connect with folks, with your neighbors, with people who care about the same issues as you. Um, You can make phone calls from your home. It's that easy. Um, Or you could do it with a team. I'm having some folks over to my house this weekend. It has a ripple effect too, right? Like those people get off the phone and they're like, that was interesting. And if they actually go to the Elections BC site or if they go and they vote early, they can then walk their friends through it. And I think it has that sort of knock-on effect. All right. Um, any final thoughts, predictions? Maybe we should make predictions. What, uh, what's going through your head in the last, the last week of the election? When I'm not freaking out, which is part of, part of what I'm doing. Totally um, natural. I just remind myself that we have a plan. Like We know exactly what we have to do in these next two weeks. Um, we're going to increase turnout. We're going to get more people to the polls. And whatever happens, we're going we're gonna to keep organizing on the issues that matter to us. 
Right on. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks, Kai. Sophie Harrison, Dogwoods tanker campaigner and resident youth voter motivation expert. That sounds good. I'm Kai Nagata, uh, and that's it for this week. We're going to wrap this up in a minute and get back on the phones. We have literally hundreds of thousands of calls to make, and we could really use your help. You can sign up at votebc.ca. We'll get you the tools, the training, and the support you need to be a voter turnout machine. Listen, this is not going to be easy. British Columbians are up against the most formidable electoral juggernaut this province has ever seen, funded by unlimited money from around the world. And Christy Clark is a brilliant campaigner. She's using Donald Trump and the looming trade war with the United States to send pretty much the same message as Stephen Harper in the last two federal elections. The world is a scary place. A sea of troubles is lapping at our shores. And now is not the time for change. There are a lot of voters across BC that are going to be frightened into sticking with the incumbent purely for those economic reasons. But there's also a lot of voters who've stopped believing what comes out of her mouth. They see this government for what it is. I call it the reverse Robin Hood. They are robbing from the poor to give to the rich. Think about it. They jack up our hydro rates, MSPs, bridge tolls, car insurance. They collect billions in property transfer taxes as house prices go through the roof. And then they shovel that money, our money, over to global corporations. The companies kick back a chunk to the ruling party in the form of donations and the whole disgusting spectacle repeats itself. Well, it's time to break that cycle. It's time to give those parasites a run for their money. And the only way to do that is to vote. Let's take our province back, votebc.ca. We can do this. Just stay focused, keep your chin up, and we'll talk to you after the election.